look at God's words with you today. We're in Exodus chapter 3. I love that. I don't know if any of you guys were here this morning for, for Boyd sharing, but he talked about experiences of rejection. And lo and behold, the first sentence of my notes is, did you ever have an experience of rejection that never seemed to heal? Just kind of throws you off a little bit. You never quite deal with it, and it just becomes almost part of who you are. Um, I was, I personally, I was actually four foot eleven going into high school, I'm a little bit taller than that now. And so when I was in high school, people just kind of didn't expect much out of me. You know what I'm talking about? They just kind of assume you're just kind of literally down here. And I was, so I was bullied a bit physically, verbally, and, and coming from a family that avoided conflict, I just kind of absorbed all the insults. I just let all the pain just kind of sit, and I just ended up just totally underachieving. Just avoiding, pushing forward, going out. I actually have a thing, you know how when people get nervous, they get kind of jittery? I actually start yawning. I'm serious. Like, I start yawning when I'm nervous because my body just says, stop. Don't even try. I'm serious. In fact, when a, when a friend of mine, when I was in high school, said to me, I have a feeling one day you're going to become a missionary. I'm a missionary. I just totally blew him off. And I just made excuse after excuse because I believed, under all the excuses, that if God really wanted me to do great things, then He would have made my path straighter. Our text today is about God's great plans and our great excuses. What's underneath those excuses? And God working through us despite us. We're going to find those themes in Exodus chapter 3. And as you're turning there, here's what happened last week. We were introduced to Moses. Moses was literally a miracle baby in a land of oppression. And one day, he stood up to begin a revolution and his own people rejected him. And he left Egypt. And he got a wife and kids. And he spent the next 40 years tending sheep. Now God, hearing His people's cries for help, is going to call Moses once again, I might say, to lead. And we're going to see how Moses responds. So you outline, as you see, God makes plans, we make excuses, and we'll go from there. So I'm going to read the first ten verses of chapter 3. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called him out of the bush, Moses, Moses, and he said, Here I am. Then the Lord said, Do not come near. Take your sandals off of your feet, for the place on which you're standing is holy ground. And he said, I'm the God 
of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now, behold... The cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. And I love that this is how God shows up. This is where he shows up in Exodus. You know, it's like this old shepherd is out for a walk. You know, maybe it's a Tuesday. Just someday. And and God reveals himself to a man who has rejected the world and the world has rejected him. It's just an old shepherd. And God's first big command is take off your shoes. Why? Well, a Jewish rabbi explained it this way. They tend to know the Old Testament pretty well. Maybe the New Testament not so much. God is directing the conversation to a different realm. In other words, this is no ordinary day, old shepherd. You stand in the presence of God and not sheep. And think about the last 40 years. Think about the company that that Moses has kept. Probably a few friends and a bunch of sheep. So this is an exercise in humility. Does it work? I don't, I don't know. The text doesn't actually say if Moses took his shoes off, but he hid his face. So I'd like to think he's, he's pretty afraid. We'll see if that sticks. But in all this fire and authority that the Lord comes down with, the Lord then does something very personal. He explains the entire plot of Moses' mission. You know, this is... This is not like God saying to Abraham in Genesis, like, hey, just go and I'll tell you what to do later. No, God says, here's what you missed in Egypt, Moses. Here's how bad it is now. So here's what you do. How much would you give a script, give for a script of the rest of your life? So God has his plan and he Picked his guy, and you'd think the chapter would end here. How could Moses mess this up? It's a, it's a simple, it's a simple plan. It's a simple command. But can people mess up simple commands? Go clean your room. May ever mess that one up? Husbands, love your wives. May ever mess that one up? Wives, submit to your husbands. Love your neighbor. Pray for your enemies. Go and make disciples of all nations. Adam and Eve, don't eat from that tree. 
It doesn't matter how simple God makes the command. Because what do we often make? It's point two. We make excuses. God's commands are, whether they're simple, whether they look complex, the point is we say no. And that's what Moses is going to do. Moses is going to make a a bunch of excuses. And a quick note before we run through all these. All these excuses, I think, are not just random. I don't think excuses are random in general. All these excuses are, I think, linear. That is, each excuse Moses makes here points and leads to the next one. And underneath all of it is something very bad. We're going to dig that up today. So here's the first excuse is verses 11 and 12. Who am I, God? Verses 11 and 12. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children out of Egypt? God said, But I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. So Moses' question in response to God's plan is, is, who am I? And here's the thing. That almost look, looks humble, doesn't it? Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? I mean, this is the ruler of the most powerful nation in the world. This man has killed countless people. He's trying to kill Moses. That didn't happen. But you know what? He killed a lot of babies. And he oppressed a lot of Israelites. And you know what? He wants Moses dead too. But who is Pharaoh to God? He's no problem. The problem, I would say in this excuse, is that Moses makes the mistake of considering himself and his abilities as a game-changing factor to God's plans. In other words, Moses thinks his lack of ability somehow changed the plan. I mean, we do this right. Let's apply Moses' excuses to some of those commands I just mentioned, and you tell me how much sense it makes. Go clean your room. And then the child says, Who am I? That I should clean this room. There's so much stuff here. I can't clean it all. Does that make sense? Who am I that I should love my wife? I'm a horrible leader. I don't listen well. It's hard for me to remember stuff. I'm trying to work on my own feelings. i got to help her with hers. Who am I? Who am I that I should submit to my husband? You know, I just, I just grew up around so many people and they were just so fierce and I just, I don't know how to listen to people. Who am I? Who am I to, to make disciples of all nations? Have you seen the nations lately? Now God's plan is set, isn't it? And here's a hint as to why God's plan is set. This guy, Pharaoh, and Moses is so afraid of He's already dead. He died last chapter. God doesn't tell Moses that, though. And I think it's because it's not the point. Because even if he was alive, who is he? 
The point is God's response in verse 12. I am with you. God's with you. It doesn't matter. God has called Moses, and that's all the strength Moses needs. Moses can't stop God, but he thinks he can. And so he makes excuses. And it looks like humility, but it isn't. And it's not when we do it either. And look at where it leads. Watch what happens next. Second excuse. Who are you, God? I'm going to read chapter 313 through 22. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Say this to the people of Israel. The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob has appeared to me, saying, I have observed you and what has been done to you in Egypt, and I promise that I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. And they will listen to your voice. And you and the elders of Israel shall go to the king of Egypt and say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us, and now please let us go a three-day journey into the wilderness, that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it. After that, I will let you go. And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And when you go, you shall not go empty. But each woman shall ask of her neighbor and any woman who lives in her house for silver and gold jewelry and clothing, and you shall put them on your sons and on your daughters, so you shall plunder the Egyptians. And Moses starts this off by saying, Who are you, God? Do you see the excuse in Moses' words? He says, If I say to the people, The God of your fathers sent me, and they say, What is his name? What shall I tell them? Oh, I don't know, Moses. How is the God of your fathers not clear enough? And what's God's response to all this? He says, I am who I am. In other words, Moses, tell the people I'm bigger than a name. I am. And just to prove it, God then shows who he is. He repeats all the important people of history of whom he is God over. And then he repeats the plot back to Moses, says, say that to them. In fact, he gives them even more detail. In other words, Moses makes another excuse, but God surprisingly leans in and gives him even more reasons to trust. Here's what I'm getting out here. When we ask God to, to kind of prove himself first, to do a little extra, 
we think we're being careful, don't we? But what we're really doing is we're lowering him. God, can you just give me a little bit more proof? Can you just give me a little bit more detail? And when that happens, the third excuse happens. People will reject me. I'll read verses 4, 1 through 9. Then Moses answered, But behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they say, The Lord did not appear to you. The Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? Moses said, A staff. And he said, Throw it on the ground. And so he threw it on the ground, and it became a serpent, and Moses ran from it. But the Lord said to Moses, Put out your hand and catch it by the tail. So he put out his hand and caught it, and it became a staff in his hand, that they may believe the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has appeared to you. And again the Lord said to him, Put your hand inside your cloak. And he put his hand inside his cloak, and when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. Then God said, Put your hand back inside your cloak. So he put his hand back inside his cloak, and when he took it out, behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. If they will not believe you, God said, or listen to the first sign, they may believe the latter sign. If they will not believe even these two signs or listen to your voice, you shall take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground, and the water that you take from the Nile will become blood on dry ground. So Moses makes his next excuse. Next excuse, they will not believe me. And that, right, that seems kind of legit. It does. I mean, God appeared to Moses in fire, but, you know, that's probably not going to happen here when Moses goes back. He's going to say, God told me they're going to be like, prove it. That seems legit. And by the way, rejection is hard, right? Anybody want to go walk a bunch of miles and tell people something and have them laugh at you? Nobody wants to do that. And beyond that, Moses might kind of be affected here by the fact that the people already rejected him back in chapter 2. So it's not like, who's this guy? It's, oh, this guy. And I do think that 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 has simmered for about 40 years, tending sheep. And out of that comes the excuse. He lets the possibility, which God said won't happen, he lets the possibility of their rejection stop him. And here's how God responds. It's verses 2 through 9. God enables Moses to perform three signs. And I don't have time to explain the significance of the signs. They all, they all do point ahead. But the point is this. Moses continues to pull away and what he's doing is he's de-elevating the authority of God and when that happens, guess what? You start putting a lot of stock in what people say. And so God has called him even though Moses is pulling away. God is calling him and God even empowers him even though Moses doesn't deserve to do these signs. He doesn't deserve this. In other words, God is not rejecting Moses. He's actually saying, no, still do your job. Even though Moses has essentially at this point begun to reject God. 
Moses is more concerned with the rejection of the people, yet God does not reject Moses. But then look at what happens next. Look at the next excuse. That's, people should reject me. I'll read verses 10 through 12. But Moses um, said to the Lord, Oh my Lord, I'm not eloquent either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I'm slow of speech and of tongue. Then the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth, and I will teach you what you should speak. And again, this might, this might sound humble. I mean, Moses has legit defects. He's slow of speech. He's not eloquent. Uh, some Hebrew traditions say that, that when he was playing in Pharaoh's house as a kid, he burned his tongue on hot coals. Picked, you know, he just kind of went after him like kids do if you're not looking at him every ten seconds. But here's the thing. Do those things... Do, do, do physical impairments make life harder? Yeah. Yeah. But the problem now is that Moses, as he's de-elevating the Lord and elevating people, then when he's confronted with the reality of, of rejection, who's he blaming? The Lord. You made me this way. People should reject me. See, the problem now is that Moses doubts God's very design of him. This almost sounds like a rehash of the who am I question. Like, who am I? You know, I'm slow of speech. But here's the difference. Before, it was a question, and now it's a statement. Here, Moses is not asking a question. He's, he's not saying, who am I? He's saying, I am not. In other words, I am not someone who the Lord can use. And again, doesn't that sound humble sometimes? Have you ever made that excuse? I'm just so messed up. But what you're doing there is you're assuming that you are so low that the Lord cannot reach you. And that's assuming you know better than He does. And that's where we're going. That's where these excuses are pointing. Do you think God doesn't know Moses isn't cut out for this? But look at God's response as he continues to pursue Moses. He says, who made your mouth? Who made you slow of tongue? I did. And again, go, I will be with your mouth. I love that phrase. In other words, God's answer to excuse after excuse is this. I am. You know what changed for me when I was four foot eleven? Because I sure didn't grow that much more. God changed my heart. That's what happens in people. Could he have made me shoot up to six feet over the summer? Yeah. I watched kids shoot up to six feet over the summer. But guess what happens if I just get taller instead of trust God? Where do I put the glory? I put it right here. 
I don't give it to them. And God wants the glory. And you know what? I think that's why he picked Moses. Like Tom said last week, we can learn from the oddballs and the outcasts, can't we? When people are small, God's glory looks so big. And I just don't mean height. I mean when people do not make much of themselves, the Lord can be made much of through them. Because he's just shined so much more clearly. But yet, in all of this, Moses, does he still does not repent. Last excuse here in the root of the problem. Read verses 13 through 17. But Moses said, oh my Lord, please send someone else. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, Is there not Aaron your brother, the Levite? I know he can speak well. Behold, he is coming out to meet you, and when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. You shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth, and I will be with your mouth and with his mouth, and I will teach you both what to do. He shall speak to you for the people, and he shall be your mouth, and you shall be as God to him. And take this, take in your hand this staff with which you shall do the signs. What makes this last statement so evil? Moses has just spat out a command to God. That's where the slope went. It started with this humble sounding question and it ends up with Moses saying, God, you picked wrong. And God's response is different this time. His anger is kindled. And yet, instead of dropping fire on Moses, God says, go find your brother and I'll use you both and don't forget your staff. And Moses, like your toddler, finally gets up and does what he's supposed to do. After all that. Ladies and gentlemen, this is God's mediator. Comes out of a matter of simple faith, doesn't it? Why does Moses have to make it so complicated? Why couldn't this end after ten verses? It's because no matter how simple God makes it, it comes down to whether or not we want to do it. We want so much clarity from God when in reality we should just say yes. And this guy is going to get God's people out of Egypt? Yeah. You better believe it. But not because of Moses. It's because God gets what he wants. God always gets what he wants. Friends, God calls us to obey him And how are we different than Moses here? We make so many excuses and it starts the same way. Who am I to do all this scary work God has called me to do? It looks so much like humility, but it's the excuse of assuming you can screw up God's plan. And that leads to questioning God 
and then elevating man above God. And the next thing you know, you're saying, God sends somebody else. You flame out your marriage. You abandon your kids. God sends somebody else. I'm not doing it. And some of you guys grew up as a result of that. And God preserved you anyway. And here you are. Praise God. It's because God pursues us more than we screw up. That's point three. What we mean for evil, God means for good. That, that phrase is actually a quote of Genesis 50. When Joseph forgave his brothers, they did all this horrible stuff. And Joseph forgives them even though they're, to most people, unforgivable. And what it means is this. Man's evil is no match for God's goodness. And it's true even of God's guy, Moses. Because what I love so much about this portion of Scripture is that this display of evil by Moses is actually used by God as his first training session. Here's what I mean. Because if we look ahead to the rest of Exodus, and we're going to, we will find that Israel will end up making the exact same excuses as Moses is doing here. Who are you, Moses? Who are you, Lord? Lord, you shouldn't have taken us out of Egypt. You should have left us there. Well, they got that part right. Because even as God, through Moses, works over Pharaoh, God's people are going to complain, and Moses is going to complain too. But then God's going to keep his promise and deliver them. He's, he's going to smash Pharaoh, and the people are going to get out with the treasure that God promised, and then they're going to complain some more. And then Moses is going to complain some more. And on, and on, and on. But God will keep pursuing them. God, right here on a mountain, is holding up a mirror to Moses. He is showing his mediator exactly what it looks like to mediate between God and man. Because one half is pretty messed up and one half is really faithful. It comes down to this when you, when you think about a main point of this passage. God's going to save his people in spite of his people. God is going to save his people in spite of his people. And whether you've burned a lot of bridges or you've been burnt, there's hope in this statement. God is going to save his people in spite of his people. I just love that God even uses a mediator. That God even uses people to accomplish his goals. But really, when you think about it, if God's going to use people at all, what options are there other than broken people? Who's not broken? So God's going to have his people. How does, how does all this apply? It's three ways. Number one, know your excuses. No excuses. Because as I was reading through all those excuses in point two, maybe... The Lord brought to mind. Oh, yeah, that's the one I use. That's my favorite. I used to use that one. Now I use this one. <laughs> um, maybe you're constantly asking for signs. Maybe you just really fear what people think of you. Instead of going on there, that's actually going to be a small group question later. So please stick around for that. It'll be fun. 
<laughs> Number two, know the evil behind excuses. Each of these excuses, these are humble. These are sinful. Even worse, each one, as I hope I've proven, is a slippery slope to deeper, darker sin. And it's all rooted in one foundation. I know better than God. That's where all those excuses go to. So, even if you start with a humble question like, who am I to do this hard work? Watch out. You're on the slope. You're on the slope. But there's hope. And it's application number three. Kill the excuses. How do you do that? Because every part of me wants to say, just try harder, right? Well, not every part of me. The bad parts of me. How do you kill excuses like that? Especially if you've been rejected that much. Think of Moses. I mean, he had a... Where was his father figure? How do you kill the excuses? You believe Jesus. He's the mediator. Thankfully, Moses isn't the last word here. He's the one that's mediating between you and God. Moses was a preview. What Jesus did is he fulfilled his mission with perfect obedience. He made no excuses. So every excuse you've ever made or will make, every sin all came down on his head. And you're forgiven for that. And we forget that, but it's still true, even if we forget. There's a hope. And here's the thing. We're not just forgiven. We don't just sit in some waiting room. We actually then are called to join the mission of reaching the world for Jesus. Is that hard? Sure. But not if God is. And He is. It's all on His strength. And so, the excuses do not have to win anymore. While you were yet a sinner, Christ died for you. He didn't wait for you to stop making excuses. He died first. That's what communion is all about. That's what we're going to do this morning. I love that like, since we talk about Jesus every week, you can literally put communion any week and we still, natural transition happens if you land on Jesus. Because, I don't know about you guys, when I was a kid and I thought, oh man, when you take communion, you kind of like level up, right? Have you ever believed that? Like you're like, oh, you're messed up and then boom, and it's like, you know, Popeye or something, if you're old, you know that reference. Um, and like when we eat that, it somehow makes us okay? No. See, that's what we're talking about here. All we're doing when we take communion is we are remembering what God has done. And us taking it is just us, us acknowledging, I can't screw that up. I can't screw up God's plan. And so I invite you, all of you this morning, if you trust in the Lord, if you believe Him, take communion with us and be reminded of what He did. God, You're so good. Lord, faith is so simple. It's just realizing that deep down in the hearts of people, there's a desire to say, I know better than You, God. It's been with us since the beginning. 
And yet, we see it continue here in Exodus. And we're going to see it continue. And yet, we see Jesus then appear as promised to deliver his people. And he says, in the midst of all the excuses, it's finished. And he dies, and we're forgiven. So even as we struggle here on on this earth with the consequences of our sin, with the fallen world, and and the fact that, that we can't trust our own hearts, but we need the community of each other, we need the Holy Spirit, we can take communion and we can remember that no matter how hard life gets, and no matter how tempting the excuses are, that you have died so that those excuses don't have to win. Amen.